You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host. And as always, we wrap the year up with my favourite commentator. It's Brendan Ptolemy, Managing Director of Heron Todd White, where just before Christmas, mate, but you're nicking off for a couple of weeks leave, I assume, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to get you in earlier. <laughs> no, I'm going to smash right into Christmas Eve and then take those few days off between Christmas and New Year. Well, like the rest of us, I hope. Yeah. Mate, we are going to wrap the year up. So, I think what we will do is we will start at the start of 21, think yeah. back to the practical drivers that were driving the outcomes of where our market was, what that was looking like back in the first quarter of the year. And let's just do a little bit of a story all the way through there now. Yep. We'll talk about what it looks like now, what the stats are now, who's winning the race, and then we'll have a bit of a punt at next year. Yeah, sounds good, mate. Let's get into it. So first quarter of this year, 2021, if I can give my perspective, came back 5th of January and I had clients lining up through the door as if they've been waiting for five years to come and buy a property for starters. And what was 500 grand on the 15th of December, by the time it got to 1st of Feb, it was 550. Just happened overnight. Yeah, there was that herd mentality that we often see take hold in a property market that changes. Even from a valuous point of view, we are always amazed at how quickly consumer sentiment can change that market. And you're right, we ended up from a valuation point of view, sitting there going, hang on, everything just jumped within a month or so. You get caught on the hop, if you're honest. You have to have. Yeah, and what we have to do as valuers there is make sure that we're talking to the local agents and that we've got the most recent transaction activity in our back pocket or in our computer so that we know where the numbers are sitting straight away because we don't want to be caught behind. I would have thought your life would have been really hard the first quarter of the year because you have to use historical data. You can reflect on existing information from real estate agents, but when you're justifying your number with the bank, it's a physical outcome, a list of comparatives that you're showing the bank. Most of them would have been from November, December probably. Yeah. How are you justifying that $50,000 or $100,000 jump in the space of a couple of weeks? Yeah, we're allowed to use a couple of under-offer sales in our finance valuations. But you're right, we have to justify everything with what the banks call settled sales. And so we were having to interpolate those older sales, blend it with those newer sales, and then tell the story within our reports as to where the market was going. It wasn't a blip, was it? It was certainly a step change. But from then on, it's really settled probably, but still continue to run its course at those prices and above. Yeah. The step change is a really good terminology for it because we literally saw things go up a ladder and then level off again, then go up a ladder again. And it was these waves of interest coming through from people who had waited for the market to bottom out. Again, I find this human behavior fascinating in that we went through a really long period of time, three, four, five years. It's pretty much five years where it would have been a good time to go and buy anything you like in the suburb that you're aspiring to. But a lot of people wanted to definitively understand that the market's bottomed out and is going to rise again. I think there's that little piece where they want to understand that what they're buying is going to continue to go up after they buy it and they wait for that evidence before they act. And so we saw that. We saw people coming out of the woodwork and going, right, I can see that market's about to move. I better get in. What they did find is that there wasn't the supply that they needed in terms of the choice to be able to get into those markets. So bang, prices go up, level off a bit while we run out of stock. The vendors realize that the market's moved and they go, oh, hang on, I wasn't going to sell because I wasn't going to get enough for my expectation for my property. Then those vendors bring their property to the market and the next wave of buyers come through. And we've seen that right across Perth over the last 12 months. I've seen a couple of things there. 
this year I've seen a lot of crappy properties come on the market. A lot of the stuff that's been sitting in the junk box for the last five years, a lot of average development sites, average investment properties, they're finally being offloaded. Yep. And they are being offloaded. Finally for that price where they'd paid five fifty for it in twenty fourteen, it was worth four fifty for the last five years and now they've been able to get rid of it again for five fifty, five sixty. That's happened a lot this year. Yeah. And what we saw there is the pressure point where we saw that first quarter have a real quick 10 to 15% jump. That was off the back of, in my opinion, the board is still being open to 1,000 people a week coming in. And then we had that small lockdown for a week or so. McGowan's put his clamp on it. We're down to 250 people a week from then on. Yep. However, what we've seen since then is a continuation of the same fundamentals of buyer and seller relationship. And what I mean by that, back in the first quarter of the year, we had about a thousand ish transactions a week. Yep. Which is a thousand ish buyers a week. And there were about eight and a half to nine thousand sellers sitting on the market. Despite the fact that in around March, McGowan cut that border down to 250 people a week, that limit, we're still doing those numbers, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. So um, current listings, uh, so up slightly from the, the kind of bottom out of eight and a half thousand, we're up 9% to 9,286 this week. And then the sales rates are sitting just above a thousand a week, whereas this time last year they were sitting just below. They're more like nine hundred. So uh, it's interesting to see that that activity is still really strong. From my point of view, the, the kind of panic that we'd seen in the market for the rest of the year. So it's like the market has settled down to this level of activity. There's less panic buying in a number of different suburbs, and it's gone into more that kind of middle level of the market is what's turning over relatively rapidly. In May this year, I bought a property for a client in Melville. It was on Winfield Road in Melville. It was a triplex block near the high school, 750, I think, or 800 square meters. Anyway, we bought it for 830 grand, and I thought I was paying a little bit overs for that at the time, and that was in May. Five houses down has come on the market, and it's just sold, and when I inquired about it, he was turning down cash offers of a million dollars. We paid 8.30 in May. Yep. But like the same block, five houses down, right? Development block. And people have been talking about on the data, on the national side, a lot of the property commentators nationally love to kick us in the nuts. They love to talk us down. And talking about how the data has shown we haven't seen a lot of holistic median house price growth in the last three, four months. I'm seeing exactly what I've seen from that example I just gave there, where stuff that we were buying in April, May. Yep. That's not the price anymore. It's moved again. Yep. First question, are you seeing similar behavior happen over the last six months, not just from January, February, March, but since then, continued growth? And if you are, why aren't we seeing it in the median house price numbers? Yeah, so really interesting. I look back at the stats that are coming through for websites like Rewa at the minute. And if you take a suburb like Cottesloe, it's a bit of a headline suburb, growth rate in there of 32.6% showing now. If you go back to the middle of the activity that was peaking in there, the growth rate showed 10% and it essentially did not reflect what was happening on the ground at the time. And I think that's exactly what's happening here with the median house price. We've just got those lag indicators and waiting for the settled sales to come through into the system and be analysed. Plus, we need to remember that median house price is the median. So there's a lot of activity happening in the middle of the marketplace between four hundred and five hundred odd thousand dollars And that's going to mean that that statistic stays around that level for a fair period of time, I would expect. So what you're saying is, it's possible that as the market starts to move along now, we're seeing a lot more volume at the lower end of the market, which is dragging the median or keeping the median down, even though dollar for dollar, they're actually seeing growth. Yeah, exactly. And so 
just have a look at a couple of the big suburbs of Perth. So broad base in terms of value. You look at $420,000 median house price in both Ellenbrook and Baldivis. My favourite. Um, and Baldivis has had 17% growth in the last 12 months and Ellenbrook's had 12% growth. So that's reflecting the fact that they've come off a low base as well. But obviously, that activity is below the median house price. So that would be pulling it down. Baldivis is selling 20 houses a week at the minute. 23 last week, 19, or 23 the week before, week before last, 19 at the minute. Well, it's above average. As we went through the bottom of that market, they'd be lucky to sell 10. So it's double what they did in the, the bottom of the market with really good supply in there. Funnily enough, supply has gone down from it bottomed out or peaked at 650, and it's sitting around 420 at the minute. So you can see that supply being soaked up. But 420 houses is um, nearly 10% of the stock on the market in Perth Metro at the minute is in Baldivis. Well, that's massive suburbs. And eventually, they split out and renamed some of the areas. We had a really wet winter, but that didn't stop transaction numbers on a weekly basis. It probably dipped down to 800 and something, and then it came back to 900, and then back up to 1,000 a week pretty quick. Yeah. Into spring selling season. And what we've seen is that stock on market go from, as you said, about eight and a half thousand around July was still around there. And then it's pushed up into the early nine thousands. That's normal for spring selling season. Yeah, it is. It's normal to have that flood of supply to the market. In fact, I'm a little bit surprised that it wasn't stronger in terms of vendors coming to look to sell property. An explanation for that might be that we did sell a lot of property earlier on in the year. So people cleaning out those portfolios that they weren't interested in holding anymore. We got back to numbers where they could sell for where they'd purchased at the peak of the market. That's a really common story right across value sectors, right across all of WA, in fact. So that's probably meant that we sold a little bit earlier in the year, had a bit more activity and meant that springs may be a little bit quieter than it usually would have been off the the, uh, winter activity. That's right. But look, the stats are still showing that we're at a thousand consistently a week. And the thing that really gives me confidence is that it's despite the fact that our borders are still closed. Yeah. We're going to talk about what it looks like next year, but my question will be, what does it look like when the borders are open and there's 20,000, 30,000 people in who can't rent because that's knackered, the rental market, and have to buy somewhere? It's, I look forward to being asked you that question, Brendo. Let's talk about what's going on right now in the market with regards to some insights you've seen about uh, some leading suburbs and uh, on the ground, what you're talking and what's happening with valuations. Yeah, so really interesting in terms of value level. So for those, a lot of people listen to our podcasts and we always talk about transactions. So probably the average person who's not looking to buy or sell at the minute should be considering their finance position because values are up in most suburbs across Perth. If we're talking about a 12 to 15% growth in Baldivis and Ellenbrook, that means that everywhere's up by at least kind of 15 odd percent. And people should be considering value of their house. Number one, what their LVR then is, as in their debt position against the value of their house, and then considering talking to their broker or the banker about whether that's time for them to refinance. So two points there. One would be people who have been in negative equity for quite a while and not able to refinance to a different bank. Now might be the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And people who have actually refinanced in the last couple of years coming off a two or three year rate, do it again. Yeah, exactly. So it's just about being active in terms of managing your own property. And we're going into Christmas, people sit around and have a beer or whatever and relax for a minute. It might be the time to sit back and have a look at those things that kind of the New Year's resolution, if you like, don't really like them. But (laughs) the time is right now to be locking away those low interest rates. What I'm most conscious here is of the people that the positive slant that we put on property on this podcast, and there are still a large amount of people that would have bought 
in the 13, 14, 15 marketplace that are only just getting back to what they paid for their properties. And then if you go back to the cycle before that kind of 06, 7, 8 cycle, where if you bought in at the peak of that market, where we're getting back to and exceeding those values as well. So that can help sort people out in terms of where their LVRs and their debt ratios are on their principal place of residence or investment properties. There's a lot of people, as you've just mentioned, Brendan, who have been kicked in the nuts for quite a while, sitting with properties they can't move really not even wanting to know, not even wanting to ask the question because they assume it's an answer they don't want with regards to values. Yep. Now is the time. Have a look at your valuations and use that for a refinance or a sale if you join the club of all those people that are looking to offload properties they held on to a bit longer than they should have yep. since purchasing in those time frames. And if you want to offload, now's the time. We probably still need a few more people to get to market and sell. Because what I'm finding is you're eventually going to get to a point where transaction numbers will be stymied, not by demand, but just by available stock of good properties. Yeah, yeah. Well, that stat's still fascinating. There's only 4,780 houses on the market at the moment. It's a huge undersupply and and a huge lack of choice for people. If you think about the scenario of an upgrade buyer wanting to go from one suburb to the next, it's pretty hard to go to that next suburb and create supply in the suburb that you're in if there's no decent supply for an upgrade into the suburb that you want to go to. So there'd be a lot of caution, I think, underlying caution sitting within the marketplace, in particular with COVID coming to the next stage, being released into the WA society or state across WA, that there'd be some people being cautious from a decision-making point of view there too. Do you want to talk about next year? Before we move on to that, I was just you talked about the East Coast commentators and I just saw an article during the week People can check it out on realestate.com. We talked about those ladies winning the the huge Powerball lotto recently, which was one of the best stories of the year, probably best story for a few years. Put a smile on a face, doesn't it? Put a lot of smiles on faces and awesome to hear those life-changing stories for those people. And this was essentially an article around who's won the property lotto. And if we connect that back to commentators on the East Coast having a crack at WA, this gives some perspective because they've had some massive growth in suburbs on the East Coast, which is life-changing and is probably once in a lifetime. You'd probably just look through New South Wales. We know a few of these suburbs, but places like so, we're talking 2016 median house prices to 2021 median house prices. And we kind of don't like those averages and stuff, but it does give you a headline and it does give you an indication of what's happened in those markets. So... Northern Sydney beaches, Palm Beach holiday spot, median house price in uh, 2016 of 2.4 mil, now 5.2 mil. Vaucluse, 4.5 up to 6.8. Bronte, 3 mil up to 5.25, a suburb that's actually in Sydney suburbs. Uh, Bellevue Hill, 4.4 up to 6.6. If you're interestingly, go to Victoria, very much led by lifestyle property and people going for holiday locations. So Portsea from 1.7 to 3 mil. Sorrento from 1 mil to 2 mil. St Andrews Beach up from 6.75 to 1.627. And interestingly, Turak from 4.5 to 5.5. So when you get down to WA and compare our suburbs to those suburbs on the list, then Cottesloe at 1.7 up to 2.55. Dalkeith from 2.2 to 2.975. City Beach from 1.685 to 2.35. And then our location for Lifestyle and holiday makers, Quindle up 7 to 15 to 1.242. So some pretty interesting numbers there in terms of inverted commas winning the property lotto, but it does show you the dramatic growth on East Coast versus West Coast. And property commentators on the East Coast like to have a crack at WA for lagging the rest of the market. Well, they all think that they're all experts. Everyone who's invested in property in Sydney and Melbourne just passively gets to get in because it was a good idea or because their mate did it. They're all experts now. 
looking like geniuses in hindsight. They're all geniuses. <laughs> and when you look at people in Western Australia, if you've made some money, it actually is probably because you're really good at what you do because you haven't had a lot of help passively from the market, yep. from that demand supply. And you've taken a risk to get involved in the market when it was probably traveling at a pretty ordinary pace. Exactly. So what that information you've just given shows me is a couple of things. One positive, one on a risk side. One is that you've just mentioned all these suburbs that would be the most expensive suburbs in Perth by a long way. Yep. It's ridiculous numbers we're talking about for people who earn the same money as us, for starters. Sydney money versus WA money. Same incomes as us, actually slightly less than us. Yep. I have one of our most avid listeners, someone who listens to me on the podcast and radio on 6PR every Monday. He messaged me a couple of days ago and said, Trent, there's a Black Swan event coming when everyone's slapping themselves on the back saying that we're all geniuses making all this money and everyone is doing well. That's when the least expected thing normally happens. So I guess the elephant in the room is from a macro perspective, do you believe that the interest rate rises over the next couple of years are going to be a market killer? or a market shaper? So East Coast, I would think that they have to be a market killer in terms of the peak that they're hitting at the minute. That Those peaks are just way too high for interest not, rates not to really bite. And if we just consider for a minute what the debt levels must have to be for those people, even if they've made money in the past and the previous cycles in Sydney to upgrade from that suburb that they're in now to the next one, the, the step jump is dramatic. We're always talking millions of dollars. So there's a massive amount of debt sitting there. I'm a bit more optimistic for WA and we wouldn't have the huge amount of debt on average across most buyers in WA and in Perth Metro in particular, just because we've been slightly more cautious and we've had lesser growth rate. And I think we've had a lesser, less risky marketplace, less buyers taking massive high number risks to jump from where they are now into the next property or to buy into investment properties. I don't think we've seen huge risk in terms of buying in at wholesale development sites across Perth Metro. Yeah, well, my big pick there is just a really easy stat for everyone to understand is that we have 159 suburbs in Perth that are still not at the median house price with regards to what people can pay for of what our last boom was in 2014. 159 suburbs, more than half the suburbs in Perth and interest rates are half of what they were back then. So what it means to me is practically, logically, we still have that space there between what interest rates now, let's say between two and three and where they were, which is between sort of five and a half and six and a half at that point in time, Yep. before it gets too hard for us to afford it and before we do have shaping a reckoning. Up until that point in time, which might take the next two to three years at least for us to get to that space, if we ever do get back to an interest rate space where that is what shapes our market, yep. we're still within the fat zone. Yep. That's for me, that's my perspective. I agree. And I think that we, given some of those stats we just talked through, albeit topping in the market, we're looking pretty cheap in comparison to the East Coast and even in comparison to places which I find this amusing and amusing. Adelaide, we're looking pretty cheap against. Tasmania, we're looking really cheap against. And look, none of us want interest rate rises. You and me are not sitting here on the table going, oh, we're looking forward to paying more for the same thing. But the fact is, if we have to, we can. As a median person in Perth, whilst we're not going to like it, we can afford it. Yeah, There's a lot of disposable income. It is, right? And that's what the stats will show up until we get up to that five and a half, six percent half of the suburbs in Perth still aren't even paying what we were paying back then. Yeah. So that's, I guess, my argument against that. Although that is the whole point of a Black Swan event. Everyone's saying it's not going to happen until it happens. So at some point in time, there will be one. 
and we thought COVID was going to be one. In fact, it all worked the opposite way, didn't it? Yeah. When you're looking in the rearview mirror and we're talking through that the year in hindsight, it has been super surprising that the market went the way it did. Certainly back when COVID hit originally, we weren't sitting around as a business planning for growth, exponential growth. We were considering our costs, looking at whether we had the right number of people and what our capacity was and what the demand would be into the future. Can I take a little bit of gratuity here, Brando? A year ago, we were sitting here and you and I were chatting about what 2021 would look like. Yeah, yeah. And I was saying next year is going to be a big year for us based on demand and supply. And you were saying, look, Trent, I have to be a little bit more cautious as that as a valuer, but I don't disagree with you. So I'd like to think that the two of us had had picked it right. Yeah, we're picking that from looking at some fundamentals if we move into looking at 2022. Yeah, 5th of February. Yeah, so well, that's big, isn't it? It's really difficult to get too optimistic about what happens there because there's just, again, I find myself being cautious about the great unknown. But if you take the most optimistic view of it, let's just play that out for a second. Borders open, a whole lot of people rush into WA because we've got jobs available. Twenty to 30,000 jobs, they reckon. Yeah, and I hear that there's 10,000-odd people sitting overseas at the minute already with visas to come in. I have no idea whether they land in WA or they land on the East Coast. Certainly, you would think that our reputation during this period of being a safe place to live would have to hold some water with lots of people that are looking for a safe haven. I think we're massively advantaged by the fact that Europe... And I'm not, this isn't a, a running race or a, an F1 race or anything. This is a really bad thing that Europe's going backwards They're again with COVID stuffed, right now. When we open up and you would be sitting in cold Europe, anywhere in Europe, and going, gee, I've got some relations in Australia that are going all right. In particular, WA is going pretty well and they've been safe all the way through this. I haven't seen a photo of them with a mask on for two years. So we've got to look attractive. And we've got to be able to attract some people in, in particular because we need 20, 30-odd thousand workers. The highest number I've heard in that prediction is 40,000. Lowest number I've heard is 20,000. So it sits somewhere there. And then, as you said earlier, we've got to accommodate them. They need somewhere to live. They've got to live somewhere. So if we've only got 9,278 houses on the market and a rental market that's already pretty full, where exactly are they going to go? And therefore, as they arrive, they start driving the market upwards. With their pounds, with their euros. Yeah. Good place to be. Look, we had Redmond Howe on just previously, top real estate agent in the City of Journal up, British guy, saying his whole family and friends, they're all waiting to come across. Yeah. And I would have thought, if you think practically, it's always, it's great to look back in hindsight, Brendan, about, oh, that's why this happened. And we can get stuck into the real nitty gritty of the numbers. But then you have to ask yourself, why did those numbers happen? For me, my pick for next year is the City of Journal up. Most of the suburbs in there, one, obviously the lifestyle, great houses, good owner-occupied blocks, sticks with the same theme as the last year, but two... It is the stronghold of the Brit. Yeah, yeah. Look at it, right? A big portion of the people who are probably going to be coming over will be from the British Isles. Yep. And joining their family and friends who live up in the city of Joondalup, wherever it is, from Mullaloo to Waluka to Heathridge, Joondalup, Clarks, and all these places. That's where they're probably going. So if I was going to pick a passive investment, it'd be somewhere up there because that's where the pressure is going to come from for next year's demand. That's my opinion, at least. Yeah. No, that's great. It's really good insight. Once you look around at what your other options might be, it would start to sound relatively logical in my head. I'm just thinking it through. Your other option would be to buy maybe some student accommodation, take a real risk on that because they're sitting empty at the minute. Like a multiple income source. Yeah, exactly. Five-bedroom, five-bathroom house near a university, those kinds of things. 20 bunk beds. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we might need them. (laughs) Yeah. So those kinds of scenarios, uh, development sites are probably overpriced as you were talking about the Melville option before. You're definitely not buying bargains there, are you? So, yeah, it starts to look pretty attractive, I imagine. 
And what we're talking about there is just simply demand and supply, predicting some good demand. Supply is not going to be fantastic in there and it'll drive prices up pretty quickly. A lot of those building bonus builds will start finishing next year. Yep. So two things happen there. One, the people move into those homes, Yeah. which is good, but they move out of rentals. For me, that's a positive because our rental market is so knackered right now at 0.5% now. Even if we had 10,000 people come out of rentals and open that up, that brings it to one and a half, two percent 2%. That gives us a little bit of breathing space in the rental market for people trying to afford someone to live. I think that's a positive more than a negative. Yeah, absolutely. So when we start building houses, everyone gets all concerned about what's going on to backfill that rental market, but it always works itself out. But the most important part here is that we are massively undersupplied already in rentals. So anything that we can bring from a supply point of view to that market is a good thing. The other point to make is that some of those rentals will be in really good locations. So people rent for a lifestyle and then they build for their future. And so you might find that people coming out of rentals in really good near city locations and then moving out to those outer suburbs where they could afford to buy a block and build. So that creates some good supply and some good locations essentially. I've just bought a property for a client in Greenwood where the owner has asked for an extended settlement so that they can facilitate their tenant moving out into the home that they're building. So it's a perfect example of a lifestyle family suburb where that owner is actually not, to be frank, putting the property back to the rental market. They're selling it. Yeah, that's quite interesting, isn't it? The the other thing that's pretty interesting to think about is that those people that are coming to build those houses, i.e. the guys from the UK that we're talking about, they'll be tradies and they'll have to essentially be helping out their biggest building companies to try and finish the accommodation to make, create the supply so that they can fill the backlog in terms of the rentals that become freed up. That's what we want, really. When those borders open up, a lot of problems in my life, Brendan, personally, they are solved. Yeah. We've got more laborers coming in, fixing a broken building market. Hopefully, supply lines start opening up for supply of just basic things, steel, timber, all those things that we need, form work. And obviously, the more people that come in, the more demand. So that doesn't hurt the property market either. So all these things help in every way with the property market opening it up. It's surprising, actually, that people have a crack at thinking, oh, things are starting to slow down in Perth. It's not like it was back at the start of the year. It's like, guys, we're still running on coals, really. We're running on steam since the borders have been closed. You don't expect property growth unless there's population growth. And we've still been having growth with no population growth. We're chugging it all the way into February 5th and we still have a 1,000 transactions a week. It is ridiculous. Yeah. So that's probably the other point that we should really make clear to everyone is that without population growth, we've had relatively healthy or very healthy growth right across a broad sector of value across Perth Metro and regional WA. Again, going back to that optimistic view of what happens, if people start coming in, it creates further demand with a restricted current supply. That means that we have to have an upside in terms of value. Do we see more people from the East Coast moving to and or buying into the West Coast next year, given the fact that one, borders are opening and two, it's knackered over there with regards to the market and lifestyle anyway? Yeah, so what we're watching for within our business at the minute is uh, those early movers. So we can't see very much activity at all of East Coast investors buying into WA market, whether it be regional or Perth Metro. We've had a few in the regional areas. Interesting, uh, randomly in Exmouth last week and saw a Tasmanian purchaser of a property up there. I just thought that's interesting. It's a lifestyle, short-term accommodation type opportunity, that kind of thing. But moving on from that example, number one, A lot of people that have looked to move back to WA have already participated in that market, in particular high net worth people that have made good money on the 
property lotto on the east coast they've made their move already or will still be making their move they're buying to live in something into the future and essentially buying their little piece of perth what we see happening next year is essentially the smart investors on the east coast coming to bargain hunt into wa well perception that it's a bargain for them, it's a bargain. For us, we're still grappling with yeah. the 15% growth. Yeah, and good clarification because obviously we're not saying that everything's a bargain in, in Perth, people that already live here. But if you're sitting on the East Coast and you've made ma- massive capital growth and you're a property investor, then you're going to start looking in WA. Our rents are good. Yields are still looking really good. Yields are the best in the country. Yeah, exactly. But they normally are. Yeah. So you're saying you haven't actually seen much of it yet, but you expect to see it next year. Yeah, we do think they're coming. You think the border closure and the negative perception around McGowan that would sits in the East Coast is probably something that maybe is holding it back at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. And people don't like him over there. No. They don't like us, I don't think, over there, to be frank. Yeah. <laughs> well, Everyone is so us jealous. Apart. Everyone is so jealous. Yeah. So there's a couple of things happening. I think they've probably begun to shoegaze a lot through this. They've become introverted and just worried about what's happened in their own backyard. And if you think about what happened through Victoria in particular, through Melbourne, it's probably pretty unlikely that you're going to sit around thinking about buying property in Perth when you're in the midst of such a bleak winter lockdown. shocked. Yeah. And so you just worry about survival. Where do you get a bit of freedom? How do you keep your mental health going okay? And then you come out of that and start looking around for opportunity. And the other part is I'd hope that there's a lot of property investors out there that don't buy property without having a look at it. And that could have been an issue. Certainly, I've been talking to some commercial agents. That's been a problem in terms of them trying to sell big office buildings, that kind of stuff. East Coast REITs, Real Estate Investment Trust, won't go and buy a building unless their guys from their specialists have walked through that building before they buy it. So it's been a restriction on the market. Brendan, can you give us a tip for which sector of the residential market you think will benefit the most next year? Will it be the lower socioeconomic, the mid, the high, or regional? As much as I'd like it to be the bottom end of the market, I think there's still bottom end supply that will come into that market that will equalize prices, i.e. the finishing of those new homes. A lot of them are from the bottom of the market. Yep, that lower end of the value spectrum. So we're creating a lot of supply there. Where we're not creating a lot of supply is where people want to upgrade in particular into potentially new or bigger houses in existing decent suburbs. Your Dunkraigs of the world. Exactly. And then into character suburbs. So character houses that have been extended and renovated or large lots that have been subdivided and created new dwellings. Exactly. So unfortunately, as we grow up as a city and as a population comes in, unfortunately for people, or fortunately, depending on where you are on that ownership spectrum, within 10 to 15 k's of the city is still going to have a lot of pressure on it and in particular suburbs that offer that that excellent lifestyle that people are evolving into so outdoors recreation local cafes and pubs and and restaurants good schools those kinds of suburbs will definitely have the most price pressure on it because of demand so growth next year you reckon generally yep pretty happy that there'll be growth across the median house price and across perth metro and we're getting in before the borders open up? If I was thinking about upgrading, I'd be out there looking really hard right now because I do think there's a little bit of lag as we go into Christmas, certainly in the new year. I think that you would want to get to know your local real estate agent really well because I think a number of them would be trying to manage their home opens around trying to get a break this year. Yeah, I've been speaking to them. They all want to take a couple of weeks off because they're knackered. Fair dues to them. They haven't had a holiday in probably two years. Same with brokers and bankers. Those guys will be looking to do similar things. So don't be mistaken when you go out there and start looking for listings and properties that are on the market. We are going to have a lag, I think, as we go through our Christmas New Year period. And I'd be trying to be as active as I could in in this period of time. That's going to be hard, I think. 
Brennan Tommy, thanks so much for coming in. I reckon we'll do a regional update before the end of the year and then I'll give you a break. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having me, Trent. Good fun. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!